The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What's that you say, friends? You need a podcast about God knows what? I've got just the thing. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris. This is a hoop ball presentation. Hoop-ball.com is the website. We are alive. We are kicking. We're trucking. I'm at Dan Bespris on Twitter. I know any of you that are still listening to this podcast are the diehards that are already following me on Twitter, but you know what? It's force of habit at this point, so we're just flipping it out there. We did have a little bit, and some good, some bad, some neutral news that emerged on Tuesday related to the NBA. I don't know that it changes the timeline for anything. A few things to go over as we get into this one. Now, we're going to go through the next 10 picks in our industry mock, which is good. This is going to last us a nice long while because, damn it, we need it these days, don't we? Industry mock. Big thank you once again to our buddy Adam King for organizing that. It's trucking along. We're, we're lagging behind here on the podcast, but I'm actually good with that because we need content. Some shows out there are doing historical stuff. That's not really my bag and I like it. I actually think those are cool shows. I just, it's sort of not my thing. I did, after seeing some of the folks doing historical stuff, decided to check my my Yahoo fantasy profile and see if I really had been using the same one. This is an account I created in 2004, apparently, at Yahoo. We did leagues for three years before that. My first fantasy league was in 2001, 2002, so the first two or three seasons, I think we used CBS Sportsline. Do you guys remember CBS Sportsline? CBS Sportsline. Does that still exist in any capacity? I don't think it does. There's Sportsline.com. But I believe that's CBS's betting portal now. CBS Sportsline.com was their fantasy basketball website in the very early part of this millennium. And it was cool, actually. I really liked the format. I believe it was it was points league at the time. I think it was a points league. And they allowed you to create team names with almost an infinite number of characters. You know how Yahoo now gives you about like 15-ish, 15 to 20 characters? You can have like 40. In 2001, that was, that was groundbreaking stuff, man. You could... One of my buddies, I think, named his team the Super Ultra Fantastic Studmaster Cool Guys. How many freaking characters is that? I believe my team's name was just former President Gerald Ford's team, which is a pretty weird tack, but I think I had just seen that episode of The Simpsons, which I believe was from the mid-90s, late 90s, where he says, Homer, do you like nachos? And he says, do I ever? Right, you guys remember what I'm talking about. So that was my first couple of seasons, and then in 2004, I apparently created my Yahoo account and played in my first fantasy league that was the 2003, no, it was the 2004-2005 season? How do they have these listed? They have it listed by the year it starts? Yeah. It was the 2004-2005 NBA season. So I did three years prior to that. CBS Sportsline started charging 
which I realize as I'm saying it on the podcast makes me sound like the uh, the guy in Clueless. Remember when he comes back, he says, can you believe this? They're charging for brewskis. That's what I'm complaining about. They're charging for fantasy. So we abandoned CBS Sports. So I moved over to Yahoo, and I've never looked back. I've played Yahoo Fantasy Sports since 2004, fantasy basketball since 2001 now. But it was pretty cool to go back and look at some of my old leagues. I was shooting screenshots on Twitter and a couple of them to buddies that were my, my roommates at the time. This was 2004, 2005 would have been my senior year of college. I graduated in 05. So we definitely had leagues together before then because I had lived with these guys for a couple of seasons already or years. We call them years in real world terms, seasons. What the hell am I talking about here? So that was kind of fun, but I'm not going to go back through those. I, I mean, they're they're funny, but to me, they don't make for not my most compelling podcast. I don't know that I could present it in a way that would have you guys glued to your stereo system. So let's treat this like any other day, really. We're going to go through the news, anything that broke on Tuesday that I deem relevant, and then we'll we'll play our way through the next 10 picks in our industry mock. It's an 8-cat, much to my chagrin, I know. Biggest news of Tuesday, and unfortunately it's a negative one, is that Kevin Durant was among four members of the Brooklyn Nets to test positive for the coronavirus. Or COVID-19, or whatever you want to call it these days. Four Nets came back positive. We learned about an hour after that that KD was one of them. This basically... So, you know, we knew that more players were going to have it because you just work your way chronologically backwards. Generally, the incubation time for this virus is anywhere from about two to seven days. They say the most common is somewhere in that five to six day range. Three, three, four, five, six, seven, that range. Now, it can extend as long as 14 days in some people, but that's... You know, those are the ends of the bell curve, right? Like, you might have people that get it in one day. They're pretty uncommon. You might have people that get it in 14 days. They're also very uncommon. The folks that are in the middle, the meaty part of that bell curve, are in that three, four, five, six, seven day range. So, not unexpectedly here, you kind of work your way backwards from when the more strict measures were put in place. So, let's just think about... Let's just think about when the NBA canceled its games. That was Wednesday of last week when Rudy Gobert was already showing symptoms. He was symptomatic. You are contagious when you're symptomatic. That's when, according to most of the reports I've read, that's when you're the most contagious, as is the case with most viral droplet-borne illnesses. You're most contagious when you are symptomatic because you're creating droplets at that point. But you're also symptomatic beforehand. During the incubation period, or at least for parts of it, you're symptomatic as well. So it's quite it's quite possible that Gobert, who we had even heard the day before, was questionable with an illness. Who knows when the first symptoms started showing? When he got, I don't know, a little feverish or a little bit of shortness of breath or maybe a little sweaty or a little fatigued. Was that two, three, four days before? So the first symptom... That even still might be four or five days after the incubation period. So let's say, liberally, that Rudy Gobert was contagious for over a week before the NBA even postponed games. So we knew there was almost no way 
that other people in the NBA weren't going to start testing positive. And you can apply the same mathematical logic to the population at writ large, right? Like if Rudy Gobert was showing symptoms on the 11th, and he was already showing symptoms on the 9th, and he started incubating the virus on the 3rd, and he was contagious by the 5th, you're talking about really six days in there, the 5th through the 11th, where he was traveling around, he was with his team, they were playing other teams, those guys were exposed, they were traveling around. That's a week of games. Teams play three, four times in a week, as we know. And then they cross-pollinate. One guy gets infected on another team, he infects his teammates, they go to the rest of the league. Frankly, I'm a little bit surprised we haven't seen more positive tests across the NBA. So, that being said, I think we will. Because now we've seen Nets had it. We heard immediately after the Kevin Durant and the Nets news that the Lakers were going into quarantine because they played Brooklyn on the 10th, the day before the NBA shut down. So it's quite conceivable that the Lakers were exposed on the 10th. And if they were already contagious for their previous game, which, if I'm not mistaken, was a loss. No, no, they lost to Brooklyn on the 10th. They won. They beat Milwaukee and the Clippers over the weekend. So you might start to see guys on Milwaukee, the Clippers, the Lakers. Thank goodness the NBA finally canceled those last couple of games on Wednesday. But those teams that played on that Wednesday, you probably had guys that were infected or carrying, maybe even asymptomatic, that gave it to other people. And we're just now going to start seeing symptoms for those guys. The hope, of course, is that This is maybe the penultimate NBA wave of positives. That is, the NBA canceled its games on the 11th. People got, assume that players in the NBA were getting exposed right up to that day, meaning that you will then see an incubation period between the 11th and maybe the today, basically, yesterday or today, and we're going to then start seeing people start to get sick. And the hope is that that's the second wave and we've prevented a third wave in the NBA. It's tough to know if that's true because, you know, what may have happened is that you could even have guys kind of passing it within a single organization, right? So there was voluntary practice, stuff like that, guys that existed in the same arena. The Again, the hope here is that if you see guys getting it starting now, They've already been isolated, so they should not be giving it to a third wave of NBA players. Their families might get it, right? They're isolated at home probably with their families, so that'll be a different part of this equation. The players in the NBA that are getting it this week, their families are going to get it next week, and then we don't know. Guys could get better in a week, two weeks, six weeks. There's all these different paths to it. And that's why the fact that we are isolating ourselves is so damn important. So what I would say is if you wanted to set your expectations at a pretty reasonable mark, you don't have to do a a panic level expectations where it just means that everybody in the NBA suddenly is going to have the virus in April. It doesn't make any sense. That's longer than the incubation time. This is why locking down is such a big deal. You just, you stop it. Anyway, not the point. Point is, set your expectations in the right spot. Don't assume that this is the last wave of them. You'll see teams that chose not to get voluntary testing 
someone will have symptoms on them probably starting yesterday, today, tomorrow that we haven't heard about yet as of the time of this podcast, and we'll probably get a report on them over the next three, four, five days. And the hope is that they will not give it to anybody else. So I think a reasonable explanation is, uh, expectation for the NBA is that you're going to see guys popping up with this virus from intra-NBA transmission probably for the next 7 to 10 days. And the hope is that by April 1st, any new cases that pop up in the NBA are a result of some other method of transmission. Maybe an NBA family member that hadn't been quarantined until, say, yesterday or the day before or even today. I know a lot of states are just finally getting into that semi-lockdown mode. So then you put another two-week timer on a potential incubation. But I think that's what the NBA is hoping for, is that they can get the spread within their organization to basically be cut off in the next two to three weeks, and then you go into recovery mode for the league. As the population is concerned, it's obviously very, very different because there are a lot of people that just don't have the choice right now. I know this because I make phone calls. You guys probably don't know this about me. I make phone calls. We, we talk about how we're looking for salespeople at HoopBall. I'm one of them. I do this for the organization. And so I know what different businesses are doing right now. Some of them have insisted everybody work remotely. That's great. I actually had a person hop on the phone with me and say, it's the flu, man. Get it together. Nope. That dude's business is going to see a rough patch. And then everybody related to the people in that business are going to see a rough patch. So this is a long way from done for the general populace. I continue to think that the NBA might not perfectly reflect what's going on in the world around it because they really could isolate their select X hundred number of people. And then if they wanted to, I mean, crap, I desperately need something to watch on television right now. They could potentially get going a little bit ahead of when it seems reasonable, which I know is stupid and it's a bad way to think. And it's oddly and weirdly and probably foolishly optimistic. But when everybody's like late June, I'm like, well, we'll see. We'll see. Not that this isn't bad. It's going to be quite awful. But, and is it in bad, is it in poor taste to have a game, an NBA game with no fans while a hospital 10 miles down the road is being overloaded? Yeah, it actually might be in terrible taste. But I'll tell you what, there are tens of millions of us that are trying real hard to quarantine that would love something on TV to watch. We're all in this together, is the rule. Like, there is... I have unbelievable, overwhelming respect for the folks in the hospitals that are treating this, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. But if you want everybody else to stay home, I mean, I'm going to stay home regardless, bored or not bored. I'd rather be less bored than more bored. But there are a lot of people that are like, well, you know, if I don't have anything to do here at the home, I'm going to go do something stupid. So... This brings me to the other news of the day, which didn't hit the NBA circles quite as hard as maybe it should have, and that's South Korea is getting set to start up their basketball league again only four weeks after they suspended play. And I know what you're saying. Damn, they did a much better job than we did of testing people, isolating people, 
and stemming the tide in places where they were able to test and find positives. We didn't test anybody in this damn country. We still are barely testing people in this country. And so it's much harder to figure out where you need to deploy your resources. Also, we're a lot bigger than South Korea, both in population and in area of country. So it creates different issues. I mean, on the one hand, actually, it, it creates certain areas of ease where you know there's large spaces separating pockets of population, but we also have our big cities that are being hit hard right now because there hasn't been good testing. And so, yeah, four weeks is obviously a ridiculous pipe dream that ain't happening here in the States because these players have to play all the way across the country and different areas are getting hit harder than other areas. But this is why I haven't given up hope yet. That's why I haven't given up hope yet. They, you know, they're planning for these really rough potential outcomes, but we don't know. We can read the we can read all the news and we can try to make our educated guesses, but right now we don't really know what things are going to be looking like in six to eight weeks. The hope is that all of these measures we're taking are actually starting to improve the situation by then. So we shall see is basically all I'm saying at this point. And it's why I continue to say, if you're in fantasy leagues, just keep waiting. We're only a couple days into this thing. We don't need to abandon ship yet. Everybody wants to make a, a, a rash decision. I'm here as usual. The Dan Vespers method in fantasy is patience. Woj put out a report on Tuesday saying that Owners are still hoping to resume the season before July. I think they will. I really do. I think they will. I don't think it's going to be with fans in the arena, but I think they can resume games. There's TV revenue, and, I mean, hell, man, if we're all stuck at home still three months from now going freaking crazy, can you imagine? Everyone in the damn country would watch an NBA game. You could put any two teams out there. You could put the Kings and the Hornets on TV and we'd all watch it. The NBA raised their team credit lines to $1.2 billion. I don't... I don't care. That was the other news of the day. That was the who-gives-a-crap portion of the proceedings. Let's talk about fantasy basketball, though. That's, that's what you came here for, right? <laughs> I gotta help you. I'm having a beer during today's podcast, and nobody can stop me. We're doing 10 picks at a time, so we pick up at pick 11. That is Team Kevin So, and he got Nikola Jokic. Uh, I ended up doing the full first round on yesterday's podcast, but I'm actually going to dial it back to 10 picks apiece. So we will recap picks 11 and 12. And actually, I might even recap the whole first round here just to set the table in case you guys didn't listen to yesterday's pod. The first round went... And I'm not even going to bother with the team names at this point, just to save a minute or two in there. Harden, AD, Cat, Giannis, Steph Curry again, eight cat league. Trey, Trey Young, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant. That was an interesting one at nine. Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Bradley Beal. I maintain that Nikola Jokic at eleven is an unbelievably safe and wonderful pick that he fell that far. Of course, this some of this is I think because we're in an eight cat mock in March that has no bearing on anything. I'm not sure that teams take quite the same risks that they would. I think they I think teams are riskier in mock drafts than they are when it comes when push comes to shove in the reality. I like I don't think that someone's taking Kevin Durant at nine coming off of an entire year without playing. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he goes at nine. I just with the number of games that he's gonna miss this year, 
I got to think that he falls a little bit farther than that. Bradley Beal at 12 was the other one that I mentioned at the end of yesterday's podcast that I wasn't a massive fan of. I love Bradley Beal. And as I said on yesterday's podcast, I'm happy to repeat myself. He's a guy that I was extremely high on this season and was all about the buy lows on him when he was missing games back in December, remember? I was saying, look, I don't. I think he's going to play. This dude, this dude likes to be out there. Sure enough, he came back and he went on one of these insane tears prior to the season getting shut down. But for the same reasons I loved Bradley Beal this most recent season, there are some reasons that I dislike him going into next year. And the biggest one, of course, is John Wall, who recently got drafted, actually, in this uh, this fantasy league. But uh, we're not going to get there on today's episode. He's going to take a lot away from Beal. Now, Bradley's made large strides since the last time we saw John Wall do anything at all, basketball-related. But if you go back two seasons, which uh, not a long time ago, I know, Beal was taking 18 shots a game. He was averaging 22.5 points, 4.5, 4.5 on assists and rebounds, uh, 1.2 steals, pretty good percentages, and he was number 38. He was right in there with Clay Thompson and Rob Covington and... My guy, Nico Miritich. Remember those days? That was when John Wall existed. He wasn't great. Wall had already chunked out a little bit, and he ended up tearing his Achilles that year. Uh, played 41 games, so this is even without him for some stretch of it. The Something feels wrong here. What, about, what is this all... No, that wasn't his Achilles two years ago. What was it two seasons back? Achilles was last year. Why am I struggling on this one? In any event, John Wall didn't play the full season. If you go back, and, and now we're going back probably a little bit too far, to the last time that John Wall played a full basketball season, he played 78 games in the 16-17 season. He was number 20. Bradley Beal was barely on the scene at that point, but he was number 30. And that might be what you're looking at. With Beal. His game hasn't changed that much. His usage certainly has, but his game overall hasn't changed a ton in the last two or three years. He went from 18, 17 shots a game to 23. That's a massive jump. Assists are up a little bit because, again, no John Wall, but the percentages are pretty close to where they were. Three pointers are up because the entire league is taking more threes. But if you dial all of that usage back down a few clicks, even if he doesn't go all the way back where he was three years ago at 30, it's not going to be 10. It's not going to be 12. He's probably going to be around 20. Split the difference, something like that. So to me, this is a little bit early on Beal. I think he's getting overdrafted a hair. And you just you know, you know, just have to talk about the, the usage. Pick 13 trying to think of the easiest way to display this on my computer screen so I can find it. Pick 13 is Nikola Vucevic. Vucevic. Nico. Uh, that's a safe play. That's a safe play. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that does a little bit of everything. He doesn't turn the ball over very much, so you're going to see a little bit of a, a decline there. And I think an 8-cat, this is too early for me. On Vooch. I think I would have gone a different direction there when there are certain guys still on the board that, again, in eight category formats, just get this colossal, mind bending jump. Vooch this season only averaged 1.4 
turnovers a game. And he put up pretty good numbers in across the board, doing a little bit of everything. And that's cool and all. Sound, sound like the ladies' man for a minute. That's cool and all. But the one point for turnovers, that was one of his big feathers this year. Without that, in an 8-cat format, it's just not the same guy. This is in an 8-cat. This is too early for me on Vooch. 9-cat, you could make an argument for it. I'd still think that's probably a little bit too soon, especially while we're looking at this next guy. And I can't believe that this dude's still on the board, and that's Kawhi Leonard. How did a room full of industry pros forget Kawhi Leonard? He's the number four player on a per-game basis in 8-cat this year. He's number nine by totals. Yeah, he's missed some games, but nine? He's fallen outside the first round? Get out of town, man. That's number 14. That's a steal. Devin Booker went at 15. Which is... Uh, acceptable. Acceptable. His massive turnovers. So you wipe those out. He's currently number 17 on a per-game basis in 8-cat this year. A little bit better than that. He's actually been oddly durable this season. He's number 8 by totals in 8-cat. So, I'm good with it. Booker at 15. No one's taking his touches away, really. He's going to take a ton of shots. His percentages are both good. Doesn't get you any defensive stats, but you just sort of build... You build in conjunction with that. Find somebody that's going to get you defensive stats at some point soon, and this team did in their third-round play, but we'll get to that eventually. Pick number 16 was Russell uh, Russell Westbrook, and you kind of have to. He's been very good for Houston after a slow start. He's number 18 by totals in 8-cat this year. 15 on a per-game basis, missing some back-to-backs, basically all of them. I think you can assume that's going to be happening with him going forward, but he's a second-round guy in 8-cat, and there's sort of no way around it. Paul George, pick number 17 in this 8-cat draft, which is interesting. He's a guy I think we need to pause and talk about for a minute. Paul George, averaging 2.7 turnovers a game. So, yeah, you get a little bit of a bump in 8-cat versus 9. But he's missed a lot of time. He hasn't really looked like himself. The steals and the blocks are decent, but not jaw-dropping. The question is, does he claw his way back towards where he was two seasons ago when he was playing alongside Russell Westbrook when he was out in Oklahoma City or is what what is Paul George going forward is the question the 16 shots a game he was averaging this year with the Clippers are the lowest total he's taken since 2012 in Indiana outside of the year where he blew up his leg in this sixth game of the season that's or, or uh, first first game he came back no it's sixth game of the season other full seasons, 17, 18, 18, 17, 21, last year in Oklahoma City. That was the big jump for him. It seems like, you look at the numbers, the thought was maybe the 21 in Oklahoma City was the start of a new trend for Paul George. But I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think you're looking at, if he was playing a full allotment of minutes this season and you wipe out some of those games where he's only playing you know, 20, 24 minutes, he's probably going to be in the 18 range instead of 16, which puts him right around the 16-17 campaign in Indiana. That's about 24 points, 6.5 rebounds, 3 and change assists, and about 2 combined defensive stats, which is still very good. Make no mistake, that's still a really, really good fantasy line. 
but it's not that top five stuff that we saw in Oklahoma City. And it's better than the top 30-ish stuff we saw this year. So kind of like Bradley Beal, you probably split the difference. And with Paul George, honestly, I'm a little bit surprised to see him go as early as he did. He seems like a post-hype kind of guy to me. Like you might see him fall, you might see him fall towards the end of the second round. And if that's the case, then I'm all about it. And this spot, yeah, I'm fine with it at 17. I'm fine with it. I think he could get to that mark. I don't think there's much beyond that with him. But I also don't think that he's going to be hurt all next season the way this year was for him. I think I think you'll see a better overall health production. And given the other options on the table at this point, I get it. Pick number 18 was Joel Embiid, surprisingly far that he fell in this one. He had a very strange year. Philly is all discombobulated. His minutes were all over the map. The injuries were all over the map. And, I, you know, it's, again, I kind of get it. You know, he's played better lately prior to the shutdown. And pre-last most recent injury, he was on a much better run. But only 44 games to this point, that won't get it done. I don't think you can trust him to stay healthy, and so I don't know that I can really bring myself to draft a guy like that in the first two rounds. Forget the, you know, scheduled rest days. Is my is the guy I'm drafting going to miss two, three, four weeks at a time with just stuff? At the same time, being able to get him at 18 is an unbelievable steal because if things pan out, he has first-round upside. So I, I kind of get it also. Kristaps Porzingis went at 19, which... Hard to fault it. He's been on an insane run in the second half of the season. Better in 9-cat than 8-cat. His turnovers are exceptionally low. But no matter how you slice it, he's back into that second-round discussion for next year. So I'm totally fine with this one. And finally, pick number 20, Jason Tatum. This is an interesting one to me because he's made the case to be around that mark. But really... But how much higher is he going is my question with Tatum. He's right around the league average in turnovers at 2.2. So uh, maybe a tiny bit above it. So ACAT maybe helps him the littlest bit. But he's been pretty damn durable. Missed a few games here and there. He's at 59 right now. 23.5 points, 3 threes, 7 boards, 3 steals, 1.4, uh, excuse me, 2.9 assists, 1.4 steals, 0.9 blocks. Everything about his game is screaming awesome, and he's been on a run after a slow shooting start to the year, counterbalanced a bit by uh, slightly lesser volume, and then a furious hot run not long before the season shut down. So the hope here is that could he go on the run that he's been on for a longer-term stretch and make that more of a full-season production? I'm not certain. I'm not certain. He's he's better, by the way, his 9-cat numbers are better than his 8-cat numbers because there's so many guys in 8-cat that, that leapfrog him. He's number 9 by totals in 9-cat. In That's how good he's been. And he's been rip-roaring lately. He's number 11 on the season on a per-game basis. He's inside the top 10 on a, a per-game basis over the last month. But do we really expect him to average 30 a game on four three-pointers all season? 2.6 combined defensive stats? I, I don't think I do. I think this I think this draft took place at a time where Tatum's value is a little bit inflated. But at 20, 
you know, it's not like you're spending a first round pick on him. You're spending basically what now is a late second round pick on the dude. And looking behind him in this draft, there might be two or three guys I would consider taking over Jason Tatum. Not many. Ben Simmons is a possibility, but definitely not a guarantee. He and Tatum are actually neck and neck in 8-cat this, from this, this current season. Jimmy Butler is right there among that same group of guys. This one might surprise you guys. Andre Drummond, who people look at and they're like, what, 8-cat, Andre Drummond? Yeah, he had 3.6 turnovers a game this year. Brutally high number. He's had a strange run of not caring mixed with not blending in. He exercised his option, and then he went into coast mode. Next year, by the way, that's contract season for Drummond. I think he's going to have a big year. He's number 18 in 8-cat right now, so he might be someone I consider. I think he's going to play really hard next season, try to get himself a contract for the following year. But I also, when you think about Tatum at 20, just saying it out loud feels crazy, but when you look at the other players on the board, John Collins, Andre Drummond, throw those guys in the mix, bam, Kyrie, if you think he can stay healthy. I don't think I'd I don't think I'd go anywhere else before Tatum at that point. That's it for me. None of these other guys deserves a, a shot in that range. So it's not that crazy. It's probably not the guy I would take, but it's definitely not as insane as it feels when you say it out loud. And that's where I'll put a pin in things. We'll do 10 more players tomorrow. This is fun. I like this. Slow plodding our way through an industry mock. If you guys have any thoughts about it, please hit me up. I am Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Quarantine. Corona mode here at Hoopball. We'll roll along. We'll try to keep you occupied. And uh, sure, hit, hit me up on Twitter. What the, what the hell else am I going to do? Just making calls all day and watching to see if anybody's got any good news. <laughs> I do the Herbert impersonation. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry but I, you guys know exactly what I'm thinking of when I say, hope you brought me some good news. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. As good as it can get. Stay safe. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.